Hi, this is Tony Silva. And Charles Wiz. And this is episode 99, Two Teachers Talking. Charles and I get together to talk about teaching English in Japan and all kinds of stuff related to that. Uh, today we've got something a little different. It's a guest interview with um, uh, Professor Allison Kitzman of uh, Kindai University. And uh, she's going to try to explain uh, Bloom's taxonomy to us and how we might use some of that knowledge to make us better at what we do. Oh, yes. Bloom's Taxonomy, something everybody's heard of in the book that nobody's read. I think mm. most people, right, most people don't know that it's a book, actually. And it's like Origin of the Species. Yeah, I didn't know about this until... Oh, I no, sorry. Like Let me rephrase. It's Origin of Species. Okay. Yes, right? yes. Okay. By Darwin. Everybody says Origin of the Species, but it's Origin of Species. It's one of those books that almost nobody has read, but everyone I know in education or most people in education know about Bloom's Taxonomy. We all know the term, but we don't know what it is that we're talking about most of the time. Well, I don't know what I'm talking about most of the time anyhow, right? Mm. So what difference does it make? But in this podcast, this is a discussion that you have with Allison, and Allison kind of unpacks Bloom's taxonomy for us, and Mm -hmm. you're kind of coming in and asking some questions and making some comments. And so we're going to go into that. And the listeners can hear your discussion with Allison. And then we're going to come back and just kind of discuss our responses and our reactions to that discussion. Yeah. And so before we get into that, um, maybe just a couple, couple of words. Well, maybe probably too many words. But um, so this taxonomy, which is basically just a, a method of organizing information, um, the... I think when most people think of taxonomy, that the the visual metaphor that comes to mind is the, the tree, um, and that's probably not going to help here. Uh, the The visual metaphor uh, that people have um, used to uh, approach his taxonomy is more like the, a flattened rose, because it's not a hierarchical system. It's not, for example, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which are just you know very very clearly hierarchical, um, and uh, it is not a method. It's again, it's just a, a way of organizing information. So it's not like, for example, Wiggins' understanding by design, where you uh, focus on outcomes and then back engineer toward what it is that you want to do. Well, it's, that's a um, system. That's a system. Right, too, actually. right. Right. And so this is not any either of those things. Okay. Well, you've said exactly everything that I was going to say about the discussion. <laughs> Sorry. That's but why I was, anyway, trying, to, a, I was yeah. trying to rush into it there and kind of like, please, please don't take away my comments. But well, we can, but, but afterwards, I, th- I, th- I think after the discussion, I think you'll have a lot to say about how to apply this stuff. Well, I'm not sure, but I I will have a lot to say, but whether it's worthwhile, I mean. But the other thing that's important, and this is something you mentioned before, Tony, is that it's a really good idea if people go to the website. There you go. Because you're posting the different taxonomies and the revised taxonomy, and this will make sense if you listen to the podcast, but your suggestion was... To look at it before you listen, because the the pool gets deep at a certain point, (laughs) And uh, having the visuals either in front of you or beforehand, I think, can help you a little bit. I think so. And, okay. Uh, and we talk about basically 
within the te- that taxonomy, two different domains. One, Bloom has three, but we're going to ignore the physical because best case scenario, we don't get into the physical domain in, in the university classroom. Um, but he talks about uh, cognitive domain and, and affective domain. And the cognitive is the rose. And that that's kind of flat. And there are six different um, areas there. Knowledge, comprehension, application, analysis, synthesis, and evaluation. And then there's the effective domain, which has got five levels, which is hierarchical, um, receiving, just like paying attention to something, having you know, recepting, um, responding, um, valuing, and that's personal to, to, the, to the learner, uh, whether there's value to the input or not, organizing, and then characterizing, which apparently no one understands what that means, <laughs> which you'll hear Allison and I discussing. So that, that is the highest level. So maybe kind of like maybe you think about self-actualization or something that doesn't really make it any clearer. But um, I think of it as kind of like uh, ascribing different kinds of connection. So um, those, that, those, are the, those are the basics. And um, we'll listen to how Allison makes that accessible to us. Mm. Is what I say. Mm. There we go. Mm. Yeah, yes. well, that's basically mm. where we're at. So let's uh, let's go to the interview. Okay. Hi, Allison. Hello. <laughs> Today we have with us uh, Professor Allison Kitzman of Kindai University, uh, Department of Business, and um, our topic for our discussion right here is uh, Bloom's taxonomy. And uh, Bloom, Benjamin Samuel Bloom. Um, had an idea and uh, taxonomy. Don't be scared by the b- big word. Uh, just basically a, a, a way of organizing ideas, a system of organization. And um, so why are we talking about this, Allison? Well, I thought it would be interesting. It might be useful for our colleagues, hmm. especially you. Yeah, well, you kept bugging me about it, and I don't know anything about it. So I thought I would ask you in that... Having you on here would help us explain what it is because it saves me a whole lot of research and a whole lot of homework. Well, I'm I'm not a an expert in it, but uh, yeah, I know a little bit enough to get us started. Yeah, so there's um you know Bloom's Bloom's taxonomy is maybe among the, uh, maybe the most famous, maybe the most talked about. Uh, he was a educational psychologist and devised a system about mid 20th century, and there's there are others out there too. There's um, um, solo, uh, web taxonomy, and they're generally categorized as outcome taxonomies. I kind of judge by their outcome, but Bloom's is too, in a way. They, they, they seem to distinguish his as being more about the actions of the learner, what activities, what, what the learner is actually doing. Uh, and that's maybe the differentiation there. And there are other mm, ideas or approaches uh, maybe kind of anti-taxonomies like um, Wiggins. Well, you'll always have your critics. Yeah, well, this well, it's not necessarily a, a criticism. They're just a, a completely different uh, take on it. Like um, uh, Wiggins' idea of like starting with the desired outcome and then like back engineering what it is that you're going to teach, right? And his uh, big idea is uh, understanding by design and, and teaching for understanding. Uh, but it's not so much a taxonomy as, as it is a specific planning method, 
right? So it, 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 I don't think it was in, in, you know, initiated as a, as a criticism of, of the taxonomies themselves. Um, but maybe something to mention at, at the outset, too. These are not um, evidence-based practices. These are kind of like more like meta-idea approach to kind of thinking, thinking about thinking and thinking about teaching. And thinking yeah, about it's learning, very meta. Right? It's, yeah. it's a it's a framework for uh, improving teaching or considering learning outcomes, things like that. It's just a framework. Hmm. Okay. So uh, getting to you know specifically to to Bloom's taxonomy as as a framework, um, what is it? it you know, as best you can describe to uh, we lay people. <laughs> okay. Well, as best I understand it, again, I am not the expert. Uh, Benjamin Bloom actually had several collaborators um, starting in the late 1940s, actually. Uh, he and some of his collaborators uh, went to a series of conferences and they created the Taxonomy of Educational Objectives in 1953. And then he published his first handbook, number one, Cognitive, in 1956, which introduced the world to what most of us now consider as Bloom's taxonomy. And that is basically the cognitive domain. So it's learning outcomes, as you mentioned before. Um, and he had it in a sense of using verbs. Uh, we'll get into this a little bit later. I was very confused by this idea of using verbs. How do you measure verbs? Well, that's for, kind of talking about like what they're doing, right? Yes, yeah. yes. But I found that very confusing. So we'll, mm. we'll give some examples <laughs> in a second. But um, actually, uh, even though that's the only Bloom's taxonomy I ever studied in my master's of TESOL, <laughs> the uh, Bloom's taxonomy actually incorporates three different taxonomies. His 1964 handbook number two uh, introduce the affective, and then there is a further uh, psychomotor domain, uh, which we won't get into today. Um, even though, uh, again, a lot of these, a lot of us may have heard of these, um, it's kind of a list. <laughs> Some people call it a hierarchy. I never learned it like that. And the taxonomy in general, specifically the cognitive one, of which we'll be speaking mostly today, was redone in 2001 and is no longer in chart or hierarchical form. It's now in the form of a rose, as some people call it, I guess, Bloom's Rose. Oh, I, and saw, I saw that. I saw yeah, that. and it's more of a circle. And actually, the very, very center of the circle is just this spiral of learning throughout all levels. It's not originally meant to be hierarchical, though, again, a lot of people consider it that way. Yeah, that was so, always my impression. I always imagine the triangle, right? Like Maslow, right. So mm -hmm. Maslow's hierarchy, hierarchy of needs is considered a hierarchy where you need to have the fundamental base needs met before you can continue up the hierarchy. Bloom yeah, did not consider that. No, that's a, that's a big distinction. I think it's important. And I think that maybe that uh, hierarchical image that I had in my head maybe may have been an impediment to my understanding of it. I think if you think about it as a, more as on a flat surface, as a, as a rose, as you said, that second 
um, visual the update, yeah. image of it is it's easier to imagine like going back and forth between one area or another um, or even in two directions simultaneously. Yeah. So it's, it's easy to understand why it would be considered a hierarchy. So to actually describe first the cognitive uh, domain, he has six levels and he actually calls them levels. So again, easily to mis easy to misinterpret. Uh, the first, the lowest, I guess, level would be knowledge. And this is just simply remembering. Um, you are able to recognize, remember facts, uh, identify information. Um, you can recognize things, but this doesn't imply understanding. Yeah, it's like memorizing Martin Luther King's speech. Or our students memorizing a vocabulary list. Mm wrote memory. So, you know, maybe they can spell it correctly, but there is no cognitive connection. Um, these questions that we might ask as teachers would be who, what, why, when, where, or describe, you know, what is the date of something? And the verbs that Maslow came up with are things for teachers, educators to create uh, materials for this knowledge or understanding, remembering level. Uh, excuse me, I take that back. Not understanding. That was a mistake. <laughs> this is still the knowledge remembering level. So the verbs that he used were things like define, list, label, memorize, recall, underline. So these are the verbs that he put and of many other people have added verbs and these verbs change they're they're kind of a little loosey-goosey amongst the levels but basically if a an educator uses these verbs that kind of helps us guide the students into that knowledge level so that's the basic the second level as i misspoke before is actually understanding or comprehending now, on this level, level two, you actually have to demonstrate your understanding of the facts. So you have to organize or interpret. So these questions might be explain something, give an example, retell something in your own words, give a brief outline. Okay? And those are a lot of the questions that you might find in textbooks or written materials for students. The verbs that Bloom came up with were things like explain, describe, put in order, summarize, translate, rewrite, restate, and that's level two. Level three then is generally thought of as applying. And this is where you have to solve problems in a new situation by applying that knowledge that you've acquired somewhere. <laughs> and those questions would be, how is something something an example of something something? Uh, how do these facts relate? Uh, why is this information significant? Could something something have happened next? Which is just a yes, no, question uh, that one but if you notice we're getting a lot of open-ended questions for all of these right uh, mm. it's 
it's unusual to have such a, uh, a yes-no type of a question for any of these. So this is level three application. This, so for something, something like this, would this be, for example, after a reading, what do you think happen ne happens next? It's the use of the knowledge. It's how you deal with the information that is provided to you. you like maybe a riddle? On a cognitive level. Uh, this could be listening to a song for listening class. This could be a vocabulary list. There are a variety of different skills. And Bloom wasn't a linguist. He wasn't hmm. a language teacher. Correct. So this is covering all learning. And again, he has the three domains, the cognitive, affective, and the psychomotor. And for we language teachers, the psychomotor doesn't really enter much into this. So whatever skill, let's say baking a cake, <laughs> applying hmm. the knowledge, level three, solving a problem in a new situation. So are you going to use baking soda or baking powder in your cake? Mm, okay. In, in a non-language based skill application of the right. knowledge. So that was level three. Level four then is analyzing. And again, this is a little bit confusing because <laughs> they, they sound a little similar to me. Level four analyzing mm -hmm, mm -hmm. means to determine how the parts relate to one another. So what is the relationship between the facts or separating the whole facts into their component parts? Okay, so that's analyzing it. And some of those questions might be classify something, something, outline something, something. But we had outline up in comprehension and understanding before. Mm -hmm. So this is where I get a little confused. <laughs> yeah, that's why I've always gotten hung up here too. I actually do like the three and four between the um, application and analysis. It's like, yeah, you know, this doesn't seem as much a line as it is kind of like a, a big gray band that might separate two big ideas. Right. And I, and I think it's been manhandled a lot over time too. Mm. A lot of the information that I, how do I say, grew up with <laughs> since my master's um, is online and I haven't seen the original handbook. So I'm not sure what the original said versus the input that I've gotten now in my quote unquote research. So analysis again, outlining something, but the whole point is to separate the components into parts or understand the relationship. And that is different than just showing an understanding. So outlining in level two. Yeah, that distinction is pretty clear. Yeah. Right. So you can write an outline to show understanding and comprehension, level two, or you could outline to analyze the relationships in level four. Same word, different purpose. Got me? Gotcha, boss. Okay. Yeah, it's a little. <laughs> Alrighty. <laughs> so those are some of the questions and some of the verbs that Bloom used for that were analyze, classify, contrast, compare, debate, determine the factors, distinguish, specify, dissect. Okay, so all of those were analyzing, again, how the parts relate to one another. Synthesizing, which in 2001 was re-termed creating, understandably again because it's a little confusing creating or synthesizing now you the student or the person doing the skill this cognitive 
thing with the information that they have. They want to build for themselves some kind of pattern from the diverse elements in the knowledge that was given to them. So basically it's coalescing the ideas, whatever information you're putting all of those parts together. All right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so here though, it's also asking, I've seen in some forms asking, do you agree or disagree? To me, that seems more like the next level judging. But again, these are a little bit um, not clear distinctions. So creating or previously synthesizing, combining ideas to form a new whole. Some of the questions would be, what would you predict? What ideas can you add? How would you design a new something something? What solutions do you suggest? Okay, so again, it's a different type of thinking that the outcome is to then create your, your own ideas. Bloom used some of the verbs, generate, predict, reorganize, visualize, formulate, combine, find an unusual way, invent or originate. So again, these verbs are meant to get the student to have this output, this learning output of synthesizing or creating new ideas for themselves. All right, the last level, which is not the highest level, it's just a different level, evaluating. And this is developing one's own opinions, judgments, decisions, and also kind of maybe improving on the facts, creating new ideas, uh, but in an evaluative sense. And this should be done based on a set of criteria. I would guess in my own teaching, the own materials that I use and I've read and I've learned from myself as a student, a lot of times there's less of a set of criteria. Um, maybe that's something we educators could improve upon. Sorry, side note there. Anyway, level six, the evaluating level, making judgments for oneself. Some of the questions might be, do you agree? Explain. What is most important? Prioritize something, something according to something, something. What criteria would you use to accept, uh, assess this? Can you elaborate on the reason? So again, these are getting to be more of a judgment type learning outcome, getting the students to think for themselves. Bloom's verbs to get these learning outcomes were appraise, give your opinion, defend, rate, justify, choose. Now that one again, I'm not sure how I choose would be an evaluation, an evaluative thing. Um, mm. <laughs> so those are the basic six levels. Remembering, understanding, applying, analyzing, creating, and evaluating. Okay, so what? <laughs> so got, yeah, yeah, we got all these, these these neat ideas and these neat levels and things. And so me as just a average Joe teacher is like, how do I 
take these ideas and somehow make my classes better. But wait, Tony, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> I th of course, we're going to discuss that in just a minute. Oh, and oh, okay. and, and to, to each his own. When, when, yeah, and hopefully you and Charles will also have some creative ideas. Mm -hmm. But going exactly to what you're talking about in our classrooms, it's not just the cognitive. Mm. It's not just the knowledge and maybe the learning outcomes. And in fact, Bloom recognized this himself and one of the other things that he did this was his handbook two in 1964 was the affective domain oh okay okay so yeah actually, i made a note of that to ask you about that but okay you're going with it explain yeah well because for us as teachers you can't have one without the other especially in our learning environment where we are now with how shall we say maybe reticent students uh, etc. So the cognitive domain that we just mentioned mm. is of course useful for what type of learning outcome but we really have to consider our students themselves and that's the affective domain and kind of how do I say grossly stated is how the learners react to the learning or the teaching. You can shove all the information down their throats that you want it may not happen. Nothing may come out. You might not get those outcomes. So yeah, you're always dealing with at least a, a, a three-sided dynamic in the classroom. You've got the, what the students are getting and putting out. You've got the teachers, what he's, he or she is getting and putting out. And then you've got <laughs> the material or the, the scheduled activity or whatever it is that's supposed to be in play. Um, and then you, you you know other factors that you really have no control over whether you know it's a snow day or, or the air conditioner is not working or whatever it might be or whatever teacher they had in, in, in the previous class, but you've always got at least those basic three that you always right. have to be able to juggle. Right. And and Bloom was very aware of this. And so again, I'm going to ignore the psychomotor domain mm. as we're primarily focused on language learning. But I do think that the affective domain, the emotions are very important uh, to us. So mm -hmm. the affective, again, so th this is a part of his taxonomy, but it's separate from the cognitive. So the cognitive had six levels. This has five levels. And this one actually does seem to have a lowest level. This one does seem to be much more hierarchical. Again, adding to the confusion of the general taxonomy. So Bloom's first affective level was called receiving. Okay, and again, this is how the learners react to the learning or the teaching. So it's really about how the learners, oh gosh, I hate to use grow in this sense, but how they grow their attitudes, how they grow them, their selves, how do they improve and use this cognitive knowledge? So the first level receiving, well, the student is just passive, but the student is paying attention. Okay. So without this, no learning occurs, but pretty much receiving is just about the student's memory. Again, it's just, it is, basic. They're paying attention. Their eyes are open. They're not drooling on their uh, desks. Yeah, it's, it's, we, we discussed a little bit before we, we uh, started recording things that we maybe need a 
another level a zero a level. level yeah because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we find a lot of times we find our students in that effective state right <laughs> where they are just basically inert <laughs> yeah so <laughs> so i would exactly i would argue for a zero level you of, almost need it yeah of just presence where we we do all of us anywhere in the world have students who are just not engaged they're in the classroom but they're hungry or they're tired or they just broke up with their boyfriend whatever so i would argue for a zero however bloom started with number one receiving so again that's passive but paying attention uh to the learning level two which again this time is more hierarchical is responding so the student actively participates in the learning process. The student reacts. Now, again, for me, going back to the cognitive domain, that doesn't necessarily mean understanding. That doesn't necessarily mean creating. It, that, that could be any of them. So these, the separation of these taxonomies are, are thus. So <laughs> responding, but we're not sure necessarily how. We're not assigning in the affective domain how they are responding or to what degree or judging their responses. So we've got receiving, we've got responding. Level three is valuing. And the student attaches a value to the information. Now, this kind of could be maybe confusing with level six of the cognitive, which the student is evaluate evaluating the information that's not what this is this is affectively on a self level a personal level they within themselves are attaching a value to the information that they are receiving where level six of the cognitive domain taxonomy is there learning output. It's, it's what, they're, what they say about the information. This affective domain is personal. They may never say whether or not they have valued this information or not. And quite often, again, as teachers, we often don't really know if the students... No, it's a black box, right? Yeah. So what's I, going on internally is no can be completely different than what's happening externally. Sure. Yeah. And, and hence... Don't mean to skip ahead too far, but yeah, we need to do more needs analyses or, you know, goal outcomes, things like this as teachers, if we're ever going to try and be able to understand. Of course, that's all in our spare time in the class. But anyway, all right, getting back, receiving, responding, valuing. Level four, going up the hierarchy, is organizing. And again, this is all internal, what the students are doing on an affective level to improve themselves, their own knowledge, what they're getting out of the knowledge. And they're putting together ideas for themselves. And generally, of course, as we all do, this would be within their own concepts, their own schema, their, their own ideas, their own worldviews. And this organizing is then kind of the student is then judging and synthesizing and analyzing, <clears throat> not to be confusing, um, comparing and relating what they've learned to themselves, to their future, their lives in general. But again, this is all internally. The last level, level five, characterizing. And again, this is, 
this is um, rather abstract. And mm. in fact, it's just that the student builds abstract knowledge. So going back to Maslow, the, the top of his hierarchy was self-actualization. What, what does that really mean? It's very difficult to comprehend any person's self-actualization or Bloom's characterizing. And I, you and I were both kind of struggling with this word, and I've thought about it since. Is that maybe some kind of character building? Is that what he means by characterizing, where the student mm. builds abstract knowledge? So Bloom and Maslow were working about the same time in the same spheres, and they probably knew about each other, just a guess. Mm. So those are the five levels of the affective and what it's actually doing with the student on an emotional level. So those are the two things that we've got. Cognitive, what, what type of knowledge, what type of learning outcome can even be uh, put forth. And yeah, a lot of difficulty with even that. So what say you? <laughs> well, again, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of I'm itchy for the like the, the practical applications because um, a lot of times um, we get um, you know new ideas, which is good. It shows that people are thinking and uh, and maybe get a, get an insight. Um, but very often it's a slippery slope into 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 dogma, right? And they said, yeah, mm, we should absolutely. you know pizza needs to be cut in squares. No, 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 pizza needs to be cut in slices, and it's like. But before you get too far down the the road on on either of those paths, it's like I think you know you if you if you choose one road, I think you're probably kind of missing the point. Um, with a lot of these uh, different ways of looking at things, they are just that. There's it's a different way of looking at it. Yes. I mean it's the right way or the wrong way. Yes, and um, you need to um, see what you can glean from it. So for me, um, what um, jumped out in terms of my practical application is uh, a little bit of more insight into the kinds of activities or tasks that I would plan for students um, with a little bit more consciousness. It's like, okay, when they're doing this, what is it? What skills are they actually activating? What, what skills are they like recycling? Um, yeah. What is the known? What is the unknown? What is the, over here, the, the plus alpha? Um, these kind, these kinds of ways, both the cognitive and the affective, um, I think uh, can help the teacher be a little more cognizant of exactly the different kinds of yes. learning and reinforcement that the students will be experiencing when they're doing what you're asking them to do, whatever those things are. Right? It's like, and you know, and also the different like cognitive level of like, okay. Or even yourself, what are you doing? Yeah, and that's and my first. Doing, right? That's my first thing. Hmm. Is that so often? Again, the textbooks because I I go through a lot of textbooks. I write a lot of things for myself. I'm involved in variety of different types of classes. I don't only do oral English. Um, so I see the Japanese teacher textbooks, etc., and I just find that so many educators, wherever they are, we, um, I'm not going to th start throwing any stones, um, we get in a rut. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We often tend to just do what works for us, which on one hand is great. 
But something a taxonomy like this might be able to kind of, wait a minute, am I only teaching knowledge? Am I only asking exactly. for knowledge? Am I only asking exactly. for synthesis? And one of the problems is, again, at least here in Japan, we've got a fairly homogeneous student base, but we often kind of then get too safe on that and we're not paying attention to the individuals. We're like, oh, they're all the same. They're not. And quite often, also teachers will maybe teach too high a level. Well, in America, we do it this way. And so, you know, I want you to uh, evaluate this and analyze this. And maybe our students just aren't ready for that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They don't even understand what you're talking about. They haven't understood the listening or the reading and you're asking them to discuss. Um, <laughs> well, that was one of the one of the things that uh, popped out at me when you know thinking about these different different ways of thinking about teaching and learning with um, uh, when I was reading more about the the Wiggins approach with the you know very, pretty much on the outcome based and back in mm. engineering it's like that's that's I, I like that idea it's it's really kind of the way I uh, intrinsically think but there's a big gaping hole in that because it, as you talked as you you and I have talked and Charles and I and independently and and all over the place the the importance of needs analysis and mm. it's all well and good to like you know design your outcome and then backward engineer it but you may not you may end up a few feet short of the goal there because you haven't taken into account what your beginning point is and it might yeah. not be where you assume it's going to be at all yeah and it yeah. might be a lot closer than you think, but, but, but that's but usually not the case. But it's usually one class, you might need like a whole other set of rungs to get them up that ladder. And and you could have one class the same day, same designation, same school, completely different dynamic and level. No, oh, not only and, can you, we, but we all I have. know, we all do, yes. <laughs> I mean, that's just the nature of, yeah. of education. Um, but then... I've known teachers who've used the same textbook for every single class, no matter what it was what it's called, whether it's first year, second year, or third year. I thought it was a school that did that. <laughs> oh, or a school? Oh, my Lord, an entire school. Anyway, um, you know, and it's just something like that. We we do have to individualize, personalize our, our levels, and we can't well, We've got that. a word for that now. It's called differentiation. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. <laughs> is that is that today's word? That's okay. today's word. So that I mean, that's another thing. You know, we talked about the you know, taxonomy. It's like, okay, is this another one of those cases where okay, someone's got a new word, and now we're going to, um, you know, make a religion out of it and this, now relabel everything and call this a new idea? No, it's the same pig. You just got a different yeah. designer's dress on it. Yeah, um, right. you, you, okay. you have to be very aware of that too, right? All these new names, you put a new label on it. It's like it doesn't make it a new idea. You know, differentiation, mm. we, we know what that is. We know it is like mm. teaching to the student, not to the class. Um, yeah, yeah, rubric. and but that's easier uh, said than done too. Sure, when you've sure, got classes sure. of 35, 45, you know, they don't well, respond, but yeah, but then you et think Calling it differentiation doesn't make it any easier. No, no, I call it personalization or individualization, but I guess I'm old fashioned. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, some, some other things, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, what do I have here? Ah, materials writers, because I do a lot of very good, material very good point. writing. Yeah, like this, yeah. Um, same thing when you're either you're the teacher creating things, but especially textbook writers. Mm. Listen mm. up. <laughs> I find that many of the Western textbooks 
uh, it, it's been changing, but I still see this a lot. They'll present some information, whatever that might be, and then there will be the, the only speaking is discuss. Yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a sample, like, 10-line dialogue, and they'll ask a question, discuss. Okay. And, and what, what does dis- discuss what? And especially if you have low-context or high-context cultures, we, we may understand what to discuss, we may not understand what to discuss, and as a, as, as a teacher using these textbooks, I usually don't understand what they want us to discuss. Things like that, it might be more helpful to utilize a taxonomy like this. Yes, where... we're looking at you, Jack Richards. <laughs> I wasn't going to mention names. Um, <laughs> to, He's a big boy. To um, kind of break down and make sure that the learning is appropriate for the level or for the culture. And um, Southeast Asian cultures and communication styles are very different from the Western. Now, conversely, the Japanese textbooks <laughs> generally teach to a test. Sure. And all it's, it's they're all, doing... It's all at those lower levels you talked about. It's just like yeah. knowledge, period. Knowledge and comprehension. Period. Yeah, and they're not getting other thinking. They're ever. not ever. They're, there's, there's very little production, and there's... I'm sorry. Excuse me. I shouldn't be <clears throat> so forceful here. On the affective level, <laughs> Bloom's affective level, you're you're not getting the students to do anything but level one, receive the information, and two, respond. Hmm. You're not getting the students to value the information, level three, organize the information for themselves, level four, or even develop their own character and build abstract knowledge. All of that is so low, and we could be doing so much more. Um, in business, the business uh, department, well, at least in my classes, I talk about soft skills, right? There's more to English language learning than just the vocabulary. And it's communication and working together and talking together. And that's where these level four, level five, level six, which we don't want to say is a hierarchical thing, but those levels, analysis, synthesis, and evaluation, those are the soft skills that we develop, that ningen kanke, those personal relationships that are so important to get us through life. <laughs> and we're really dropping the ball by only focusing on one end of the spectrum or the other, which actually isn't a spectrum, but anyway. Right, and, and e- equally important, we, we t- just mentioned briefly, like needs analysis, mm-hmm. um, in getting to those higher levels, um, I ought to be equally cautious not to assume that just because they've spent six years in uh, <laughs> knowledge knowledge accumulation and understanding, that there is any of that knowledge or understanding actually right. there, right? Because, yes. yeah, we expect them to say, okay, come on, jump through the hoop. Okay, I don't know what jump means. And um, I, when she's, I don't know how to jump. I've never jumped through a hoop before. And it's like, yeah, know, and just a lot jump of- through the hoop. Just jump through the hoop. A lot of Western teachers here who've been here 20, 30 years, they're still asking and re- requiring their students or expecting their students to jump through those hoops as we would in Spain or in Europe or Australia. And it's just a different culture. So this taxonomy, while it's a little confusing and a little overwhelming, frankly, just explaining what I have today 
now. It just, again, it's a framework, it's a guide, it's, it's a way to think about getting students to think at different levels. Yeah, you're right, though. Yeah, I think it's, it, is, it is confusing and it is abstract. I think mm. um, for, for teachers, I think it can be, uh, can be useful when you, you're, for example, you know, as many as have straddled with textbooks that for one reason or another we find inadequate, we need to supplement with our, you know, our own creativity. Um, but um, you mentioned a little, you know, not, not too briefly, but briefly, uh, materials uh, creators and mm. uh, textbook writers. Yes. Um, I think that's maybe where this kind of hmm, thought exercise, it's a bit more than that, right? But, but a thought exercise can be very useful when you're laying out, you know, you, you know the, the goals of your work, whatever it is, whether it's a single activity or whether it's a textbook, um, organizing what kinds of activities and the structures of, of the chapters and so forth and so on. Mm. Um, having, if not, necess not necessarily this, you know, not Bloom's taxonomy, but some map some mm. guide some kind of plan it's like how you want all these things to fit together what information what what new information is it that you think you're giving to the students what information do you think you're reinforcing how are you how are your activities forcing those students to put those things together in certain ways how are you going to force them to take outside abstract ideas and uh, use those um, outside ideas with the new language and other skills that they're getting in your class to then move on to whatever targets and goals that you you know have in mind for those students. Um, well, and this that's can be what a useful that affective, tool, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's what that affective domain is. It's not about the teacher. Hmm. That affective domain is about that student, that individual student. And again, if they're only ever being asked to receive or just basic respond, they're not going to truly develop. Hmm. And yeah, so we're asking them to do so much without having trained them. And part of that's a matter of the culture here, um, but here is not the only place. Meaning this happens in other places. <laughs> I don't want to be too critical of where I am. Oh no, 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 no! Absolutely, it, it, this this is not a this is not a Japan problem. I and mean, there's some some aspects of it that that might make certain parts more difficult than others. But this is in by this is by no means a, a Japan problem. This is this is a worldwide educate educator problem. Yeah, yeah. So developing all parts, all aspects of the student, and um, at all levels, uh, we were talking about, you and I were talking about something completely different the other night. And at what point do you start teaching people things? And I would say start teaching them as early as possible. Get, you know, English is now being started in the third grade in Japan in most places, I think. Um, don't just do remembering and, and comprehensive questions then get them to apply their knowledge get them to analyze from third grade from fourth grade teach them these skills but they also need to be taught in japanese first and that's where that's where we have no control of how that affects our classes but the earlier the better for any of these things and they will develop into better human beings 
and future learners, autonomous, and all of those other fancy schmancy words like differentiate. <laughs> yeah, next you're going to start selling me some swampland in Florida. Oh, drain the swamp. <laughs> All right. Well, we're, we're, we've got gone a little bit long, but I think um, we covered some 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 really good points, and I th I think you did a very good job of taking, yeah, this, these um, so we'll confusing. call them two these two unwieldy taxonomies, and um, bring them kind of down to earth and uh, give us a, a better picture of what those things are, Just and and more thought. importantly, is this like a different way that we can like maybe think about. Um, our own teaching and planning of activities or Always. materials creation that um, Always. might make us more effective. So, excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, I know. And yeah, thank you very much. I know it's, it's um, vacation time and I know you've been uh, very busy. You just got back from a uh, conference in, in Laos, right? Yes, that was awesome. And um, also battling a cold or two. <laughs> <laughs> takes one to know one and 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 so yeah <laughs> speaking of <laughs> yeah so anyway well thank you very much for your time always a pleasure thank you very much okay all righty take care you too bye have fun in mexico mexico <laughs> arriba okay so we're back tony thank you and thank you to allison for that discussion how did you feel while you were going through that discussion i you know, because I know you as being a hands-on, you know, real classroom practitioner. And the kind of, for, you don't really like a lot of that meta stuff. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't mind the meta, but I did at, at uh, a few points feel a little bit out of my depth because not having read the book myself, um, I did, I did a, a, a couple of points where, it, it did feel for me a little bit abstract and I was, I was really kind of trying to get back to say, okay, well, what can I do with this? Yeah. And I think that's how a lot of people feel. I mean, the discussion kind of moved into that near the end where the idea of how you would use Bloom's taxonomy and you, between you and Allison, I think every covered quite a lot of the bases there. Um, I mean, it originally what was published somewhere in the late 1950s, blooms at the University of Chicago, I believe, working with a group of people. And over time, there's been no evidence that has supported Bloom's taxonomy. I think there's no actual hard data that really supports that. Whereas I think there actually has been some research about Maslow's hierarchies that has supported that they do seem to be cross-cultural they work but maybe in a slightly different order but i was kind of thinking about this hierarchy taxonomy kind of thing you know in this attempt to understand the world that we want things like taxonomies we want divisions we want to be able to understand what's happening in the classroom in as you refer to it as the black box Mm -hmm. And I, when I talk with students and we're talking about education and teaching again, you know, I always talk about, do not talk to me about internal states. Do not, you don't know what's going on in that black box. Talk about it more in behaviors. And I, I realized that that was what the, the moving to the verb thing was, or what I call verbing, was an attempt to move more to identify behaviors that signify or indicate those aspects of 
the hierarchy that are going on. So I think the first thing I always try to do when I, I, I kind of like Bloom, but, and I use it as a first introduction to students to think about teaching and learning in a different way. Because Allison and you did mention, especially Allison was just talking about how education works in Japan, in especially language teaching. And if you give students Bloom's hierarchy, or um, taxonomy, hierarchy, taxonomy, taxonomy, hierarchy, it's all the same at some point, right? It kind of opens up their eyes to see that, well, maybe there are other kinds of learning and I've only been learning in a certain way or I've only been taught in a certain way. So in that sense, it's a, it's a useful tool for kind of introducing people to different ways of teaching slash learning. I think it has value that way. The issue, though, I'm going to take a little bit uh, is that the uh, um, the physical factor, right, which I think you and Allison or Allison felt doesn't really apply so much. And I always think to myself, you know, it's pronunciation. There's It's pretty physical. And mm-hmm. I wonder whether... We don't actually take that. You know, when we say we're teaching pronunciation, nobody ever says, you know, look, we're talking about muscle coordination and muscle training. It's how different is that from teaching somebody to throw a baseball from third base to first base? How different is that from teaching somebody how to, you know, do a certain kind of uh, swimming stroke? It is a physical activity. Um, And maybe when you guys were talking about that, and I started thinking again about Bloom's taxonomy as to how, and I think either you or Allison said this, that you can't isolate any of these one aspects. They're not happening in isolation. They're always simultaneously occurring to some degree. And to see things more on a broader spectrum. So that was something that stood out to me. And I don't know if it makes any sense. What do you think? Well, I think I think it makes a whole lot of sense, and and that that point when I when I'm dealing with pronunciation in the classroom, I emphasize very heavily um, that it's much like a sport, and uh, like um, you know, working on your 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 tennis swing, right? Um, it's something that's got to repeat it over and over and over, and you've got to develop actually, especially for Japanese learners of English, you have to develop different muscles, and you got to develop the the motor memory and things. So that's certainly a big part of it. Um, but I think like like the bigger point of what you said, not, and I'm going to even go a little bit farther. It's like I kind of hinted at in in the interview itself is that yes, there's all these with within one so for example within bloom's taxonomy he's got all these different distinctions and things and you know there, there are no lines and there, there there's, there's gray areas between the two and there's a lot of bleed over but um as i as i think i mentioned in the interview is i think once you make a decision to follow um one of these paths or the other i think i think you that that is the point where you make a mistake um these are not selective choices these are i think you need to look at them as additives um they they need to be each of them has some value but it doesn't like take away the value of looking doing it another way or on a on a different day these all need to be you you look at some uh, set of ideas 
and you find out how to add the you know from from that approach or idea or taxonomy or methodology or system um, from that what can I glean what can I take and incorporate into my teaching that it's going to make it better now I'm not going to become an acolyte and I'm not going to follow this and say okay well I'm not going to do this because um, it's not part of this methodology that that's that's crazy. Um, you you look at it and you take what you what is useful for you what what works for you in your teaching situation with your students needs analysis um, and, and incorporate it that way and uh, it's not easy it's hard work but I think that I think that's where the value lies that's a that's a good point and it goes back to there is no methodology or my favorite quote from the Malcolm Gladwell TED talk about choice, ha- choice, happiness, and spaghetti sauce, where he says, there is no perfect Pepsi. There are only perfect Pepsis. And mm. what he just is saying is that you can't, there's not one Pepsi. He's talking about this test that was done by Herbert Moskowitz, and who is a, a psychometrist or something, I forget. But the idea is that they've discovered, or it was discovered that there's not one version of something that will satisfy everybody, but multiple versions will satisfy pretty much the whole spectrum of people. So there's no one methodology. There's no one method. I mean, the best example of this, I think, is years ago, it was task-based activities and or task-based learning. And no one talks about task-based learning anymore. They talk about task-based activities. And that's because there is no one way to teach. And um, you guys covered differentiated learning. The idea mm. that you ha- want to present materials in multiple ways. And, you know, again, everything goes back to learning styles, that whole idea, concept that gets kind of instantiated into teaching, but there's no real data that supports it. And Bloom's taxonomy is just another tool. It's a heuristic to help us evaluate. Ah, am I only teaching in one certain way? Um, or, you know, what's the level of this material? And I really liked what Allison said about the textbook publishers. And you also uh-huh, commented uh-huh. on this because I've seen this so often where they have the thing and they say, okay, there's a little dialogue about your favorite movies. And it says, now discuss your favorite movies. Yeah, right. And this goes back to something that a colleague of mine once said, talking about the research on critical thinking, that you can't, we can't, you can't teach critical thinking until students, learners have a certain wealth of knowledge on which to draw upon. Absolutely. And Bloom's taxonomy is more kind of like a, a checklist for me. It's right. It's a safety check. Okay. Safe belt on. Okay. Emergency brake works. Okay. You know, the, the automobile analogy, turn signals are working. Headlights are working. Okay. It's now safe to go. And I think there it comes in useful as, or it comes in as a useful tool. Whereas understanding by design by Wiggins and uh, McTie, Poor guy, I think he gets no credit. <laughs> or McTay, I, I don't even know how to pronounce the, the the name. But understanding by design kind of flips everything on the head. And one of the really interesting things that Wiggins said is that in Bloom's taxonomy, 
understanding is at a certain level. And for Wiggins and his cohorts and colleagues, I think they've come to the conclusion that understanding is the pinnacle of learning and that it encompasses creativity. It encompasses everything that's included in Bloom's taxonomy. And we should uh, direct people to his website. I think we've had a link before, but his blog posts, um, he's, he died a few years ago, didn't he? I believe so. Right. But he also has pointed out, he wrote some good stuff about Bloom's taxonomy that is useful. But the idea is that understanding by design is a system, kind of a systems approach to curriculum design and designing your course. And the idea of being able to actually define clearly what people are doing rather than in these abstract general generalities, which is what, what happens with Bloom's taxonomy. And again, um, you guys mentioned that where you said, I don't know what this means exactly. They're abstract terms, and the verbs are an attempt to understand it, but I kind of like it. I look at it, I say, okay, that helps me, but then if I ever really try to directly apply it, it's not going to be a direct application. So I can go back, and we were talking about how do you use it in the classroom. It's a really good checklist. You know, if you're in the middle of doing something in a class, and then just kind of try to find out where on the taxonomy you are and just make a check and it's a good way to see roughly at what level you're teaching at just in the same way that you would watch your te your talking time versus how much time students are working on a task or actually engaged with each other it's it's a useful tool i just don't know how much i actually end up using it but it's useful again for looking at textbooks it's a really nice way to look at a textbook and Instead of going having that intuitive response to a textbook, which is how much white space is there? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I, I agree with you with uh, uh, its usefulness in like evaluating textbooks for sure. Um, my my first thought about practical applications was um, about uh, both. Um, well, we saw textbook writers like materials design, yes. whether it's a textbook or just like it's like, or activity design. So when you're asking your student to do something, um, the the usefulness here is not not you know looking again, just not looking at Bloom, but also thinking about Bloom in the context of Wiggins and and maybe even Maslow. Um, and so when you're asking your student to do something or when you're designing an activity um, to help the teacher. Um, consider okay when you're making this activity or you can ask the students to do something consider what it is that they'll actually be doing in this activity and that, that's that's the verb part then you know what are the students experiencing when they're involved in this and again kind of a black box but that's the, the modern again the, the contemporary term is differentiation or say like, okay the for your students, whether it's a class or an individual student that you're, you're considering at the time, what is it that they're going to feel, experience, um, see for the first time, hear? Um, what's it like from their end to, to the extent that you can? Along with, for example, like Wiggins and Ty, um, what, what is the desired outcome from, from what you're trying to put together? What are the results that you hope to see? 
Um, what do you think that they're actually going to get from this when it's all over? So what they're doing, what they feel, and then what they're actually going to hopefully learn by the end. I think thinking about Bloom's taxonomy that way, again, in an additive way, not as an alternative, but as part of a palette of colors that you're going to listen to me as a palette of colors that you're going to use to create this classroom experience. Uh, it's a, it's an interesting set of colors to add. Yeah. I, I would kind of just change that into that. It's just another measuring tool, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you have a tape measure, you have a straight edge, you have uh, what was that L shaped thing we used to use? Remember? No, nope. you know where you put it against the edge of a a piece of wood or something. Oh, a straight, straight edge, edge right? Yeah, okay. okay, yeah, it's just another measuring tool, and the value becomes what are the behaviors that would indicate this happening. And I liked what you said about you know what are the students experiencing when you you're doing an activity or students are working on some material. The other thing is, is that it's a good thing you know to say well what do I want the students to experience from this activity. Right. And again, right, it's right, just right. A, a tool. It It's not, it's guidance. It's not a connect the dot thing. It's not gonna, if you do all these things, if you design everything around this taxonomy that it's going to necessarily lead to your students learning and having massive amounts of results, there's no indication of that. But as a way of looking at our effectiveness in the classroom, uh, the effectiveness of activities, then it's a, it's a useful tool. I think we have to point out that UBD, the Understanding by Design, is a systematic approach that, if you do follow it, will lead to possibly better results. Uh, that's kind of a different thing there. But things like hierarchies and taxonomies are not end-all be-alls and we know that any category any definition is going to be mushy a little shout out there to the postmodernists, right and the deconstructionists is that if you keep going deep mm -hmm. enough everything becomes nothing but ambiguous i think that that's where its value really lays simply as being another tool in my toolbox to kind of understand a little bit about how the activity is designed to work. Is it achieving that goal or those series of goals? And what are the students experiencing? And then moving on from there. So that's my general response to Bloom's taxonomy. I think you and Allison covered it pretty well. I think that the strengths and weaknesses were pretty well described. I don't know if... Um, I have anything else to really add to that, except if you want to talk about it, read the book. <laughs> mm, mm -hmm. And, and um, I, I think your your toolbox analogy hits, hits the nail right on the head. Ha ha. Um, but because, um, yeah, we, we when you walk into the classroom, you've got to have your toolbox, your tool belt. And, you know, you're going to have a you're going to have a pencil, you have a paintbrush, you're going to have an exacto blade. You may have a machete. Um, you may have a buzzsaw, a Colt forty-five, and maybe an AK forty-seven too. But these are all these are all tools. I mean, you know, figuratively speaking. I mean, obviously not not, not in reality, not not in Japan anyway. But um, they're going to be sometimes you're going to need something very precise and very exact. Sometimes you're just going to have to like throw it up against the wall and see what hits. And you've got to have 
all that kind of stuff with you in your in your in your tool belt to to be able to do what you've got to do and and that's where we're at and this is like again like one additive it's 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 another it's another way of looking at things another way of understanding things it's another way of um you know, maybe fine-tuning or honing what it is that we do and maybe understanding what it is that we're trying to do a little bit better. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. It's not something that you say, okay, I will now use this as a basis for my teaching. Right. You're, this is not my new yeah, religion. Yeah, right. If, you, if you're going to go that route, I don't think you're going to be successful. But if it is another way for you or us as a teacher, we as teachers to gain what I'm going to call intuitional insights because again it's not to a large degree really hard concrete uh, you know specific things unless you do spend the effort on that but as a way of just simply saying hey where am i on this taxonomy that sometimes can help i know that when i've used it in that way that I've been, it's helped me to get out of those spots where you're teaching and you feel like the class is in a rut and it's not progressing anymore. And then using Bloom's taxonomy, I'm able to say, oh, gee, I'm at this point, I'm at this level or this point. And maybe I should do this. Maybe. And then it just is a quick way to get out. It's enough that it gives me enough awareness that I, I can label something. And if I can label something, it helps me deal with it better sometimes. It's like, oh, it's not the students right now. It's just that you know they're rem- you know we're stuck in this memorization or remembering thing. And the only other thing I think that I just want to add, and otherwise I think we've covered or I've covered as mm-hmm. much as I have to say on the topic, is that we use this in conjunction with other kinds of assessments of activities or what's happening. For example, you do something like a fluency activity. And you can look at fluency activities or vocabulary learning activities or information, you know, reading for information versus reading for fluency versus reading for vocabulary learning. And then you match that with Bloom's taxonomy, for example. And that lets you find more avenues to play with, I think. Different ways to take... What it basically does in simple language for me, Tony, is that it's just another tool for tweaking and it helps me tweak activities and take one activity and find multiple uses for it, adapt it. And that is just really useful and a time saver for me. Sure. Putting handles, I just put a label, gives you a handle and it gives you something maybe to connect to something Ex- else. Thank you. I could have, should, could have said it better myself. <laughs> anyway, I think that's pretty much what I have to say on the topic that we're kind of running out of time. I think that's it. Yeah. We, yeah, we got a wrap it. on 99. So our mm. next, our next episode will be our 100th podcast. That's oh, pressure. That's a milestone pressure. Should we do like, we should pressure. do like greatest hits. Oh, that'd be like a, that'd be a one minute podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So right. we're in the semester and uh number what? One third of the way through. Just about, huh? Just about. Depending where Depending you're at, where like fifth, sixth, seventh week. Yeah. Seventh week, maybe by the time this comes out. Okay. Well, maybe almost halfway for some people, right? If they started early. Oh. Wow, that would be amazing. Yeah, zoom, zoom. Zoom, zoom, zoom. Um, but yeah, especially, in, well, to, to, to find us. <laughs> um, and especially important, this one, I think, because I think looking at uh, 
uh, a little bit of that the the links and things before listening i think will be really helpful under make it a little bit more understandable uh at two teachers talking.com yes and uh and of course you know two at gmail.com etc 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 and if you're listening you know how to find us already so okay that's probably redundant sorry yes especially <laughs> at the end of the podcast <laughs> okay tony you be well all right you Thanks, too bye now <laughs>